Safely eliminate your debt fast. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit organization that can help you responsibly pay off your debts while savings on average of 25% of your monthly payments. Get out of credit card debt quickly with our proven, safe, and effective debt relief solutions. You could reduce your monthly credit card, store card, and other unsecured debt payments by a significant amount. Call Cambridge Credit Counseling at 1-855-435-2068. It's time for Black and White, a show that wants to bring all of us together, talking again about the issues that concern us. It's time to hear from people who only want to deal with facts. It's time for you to re-engage in your right of American free speech. It's time for Black and White. Welcome back to uh, Blacks and Whites. And joining us today is Rob Spaulding, who is the author of a new book that's just been out a few months. Uh, wars without rules and um, he's in his car and like I have done it many times before uh, we take a a guess whenever we can get them wherever they are so I appreciate you pulling over and giving me a steady picture so welcome to black and white sir thank you great to be here yes sir Um, tell us a little bit about yourself then we'll talk about a little bit about your book sure you know I um, 1992 uh, after watching a movie while I was in college called Top Gun. And uh, I thought, hey, that would be fun. I uh, wanted to go fly jets, got to do that, and had this tremendous opportunity uh, when I was a, a captain in the Air Force to go live in China. So I was selected uh, for a program called Olmsted Scholar Program. I went to the Defense Language Institute after I learned, uh, you know, I was flying the B-2 at the time, went to... Um, I went to Monterey, studied Chinese for a year, and then went to live with my family in Shanghai for two years and studied there at, at a, a university in Shanghai and traveled the country. Of course, you know, what was going on when I went there is that China had just entered the WTO and uh, the, um, the, the, the U.S. had just gone to war with uh, the second time with Iraq. So all of my colleagues flying the B-2 were in Iraq. Um, dropping bombs, and I was speaking Chinese in in China, and that really cha- you know transformed my career from one where uh, you know not associated with the Middle East, but really associated with China. I spent um, you know two years in China, left in 2004, and it was really a wonderful time, and uh, I enjoyed it so much. In fact, I told my wife, "Hey, I want to go back and live in China after I retire from the Air Force." maybe start a business there. It's an incredibly dynamic place. The people were great and friendly. And then, but then of course I owed time back to the Air Force because of the, the three years I'd been, you know, studying Chinese and then living in China. And so that cost me, you know, another 10 years of my life. And uh, during that time, I uh, rose through the ranks, uh, ended up being the senior defense official and the defense attache in China. Uh, and then went to the White House to be the senior director for strategic planning, where I, um, where I was the architect for the national security strategy. So a lot of the things that happened during the Trump administration with regard to China were things that I had uh, helped put into place. And the reason uh, that had happened uh, and what I talk about in both stealth war and war without rules 
was the transformation that happened to me, you know, when I was working for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, in, uh, at the Pentagon and, uh, and working on China strategy and the realization that everything that we knew about China was essentially a facade. It was created to lure us into this relationship that was really designed to destroy us from within. And that's what War Without Rules is about. It's talking about the doctrine uh, that the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army employ to undermine us from within. Rob, there's been a lot of activity uh, about China, especially in the last month or so, as the Chinese people are rebelling against the COVID zero, sequestering and uh, and and being welded into their apartments or bolted into their apartments and they're taking to the streets and last weekend they were they were basically screaming and yelling to get rid of ping and we had just been within the last 30 to 60 days essentially been made emperor for life um what's going on there what's happening that china is in such turmoil well, you know, it's funny that we're talking about China when you could basically go back a year prior and the same type of protests were happening all over the world. And uh, and what were the governments saying? These, I mean, these weren't totalitarian governments. It was uh, de democracies, Australia, Canada, the United States, uh, same type of protests. And and what was happening, you know, in um, in many of these cases, those uh, protests were either ignored or suppressed. Uh, certainly in the case of Australia, also um, uh, Canada, um, and of course, the United States with its, uh, its, its uh, uh, federated system, you know, a lot of the states, some locked down, others didn't. So it's a little bit different story in the United States. But I think the, what you're seeing in China play out is something that already played out a year prior um, and that is people don't want to be locked into their uh, apartments and homes indefinitely. I think that the, the lesson learned here is, and that's certainly what we talk about, what I talk about in War Without Rules, is that how was China able to convince the West to employ lockdowns as a policy measure when that wasn't part of any of the pandemic protocols uh, prior to 2020? You, you raise a very interesting point because it, uh, somebody who I've, I've written, I write a lot of current events commentary and, and I write for about on a rotating basis for, for 35 different blogs. And, and what I'm looking at is I look at what happened when it broke out and how China never seemed to have any deaths, didn't have anybody sick, at least they weren't reporting it to the World Health Organization as it was spreading all over the world. Now it appears that it's gone the reverse direction, where it's on its waning hours around the rest of the world. It's been roaring. Uh, we're talking 25,000 cases a day, which I don't believe in a country that large. They're only seeing 25,000 cases a day. So um, uh, there are some people who think that this was created in the lab, was purposely released, as a biological warfare weapon by China to intimidate the rest of the world and basically to, to increase their power by becoming the only place that could survive and pr prosper and provide 
goods and services to people throughout the world. But it now looks as if it's turned 180 degrees against them. Is that a wrong analysis? I, I, I don't really, th I don't look at it that way. So first of all, let's just, um, let's just take uh, lockdowns on its face. And the question is, are lockdowns a measure designed to protect the population from a virus? And uh, is that, has that uh, been scientifically proven to be effective? And what, what's the data you know, with regard to that? Uh, for this, we can look at Sweden as the base case and say um, pretty definitively that there's no data to show that lockdowns have any um, beneficial effect with regard to COVID at all. And so what are lockdowns? Lockdowns are a measure of uh, you know, population control. And that's how the Chinese Communist Party is using them. In terms of you know, how uh, China is suffering from COVID, um, I don't consider COVID to be on the order of a pandemic like say the Spanish flu. It was terribly um, damaging to elderly and those with comorbidities, but uh, if you were 55 or younger, the, the likelihood of you dying of COVID was extremely, extremely low. It was not anything like the Spanish flu. So what was COVID? It was primarily an information or psychological warfare campaign on the basis of the fact that the Chinese Communist Party hid all facts about coronavirus. Everything that we knew, including the epidemiology models, were all based on conjecture because the Chinese Communist Party never gave us any of the data. Why didn't they give us any of the data? Because they wanted to hype fear. And so the, the, the second question that, that really comes out of that is, you know, where did the, the coronavirus come from? Was it produced in the lab? Did it jump from a, a bat to a human? I think all of those questions are really irrelevant. Of course, we will never know because again, the Chinese Communist Party hid and wiped the data. So I think we have to deal with the result of the coronavirus. And that was that the Chinese Communist Party was able to use their connections to the World Health Organization, the Centers for Disease Control, the pharmaceutical industry, and pretty much governments around the world to convince us to enact policies that um, many would say are against the, um, the Nuremberg um, uh, uh, rules that came out of the Nuremberg trials. So, I mean, I think it's a easy to say that the coronavirus was uh, used by the Chinese Communist Party to strengthen their control over the supply chain, to damage the economies of the free world, and to basically occur and accrue an advantage to China uh, because it, they saw the opportunity and took advantage of it. But uh, Rob, uh, while I understand what you're saying, that is hopefully or realistically a true statement for the beginning, but it isn't where we are today. We have, we as a nation and many nations of the world uh, have finally come to our senses and in many cases have eliminated the, the sequestering, uh, we've, we've, we have evidence now that the shots not only do not prevent the spread of the, of the virus, they don't protect you from getting it. And so it's, I won't say it's useless, but it's not what it was told us 
it was going to be in the beginning. Yet here we have the largest country in the world is locking tens of millions of people into their apartments uh, and giving not our vaccines, but what are purported to be inferior vaccines that are produced in China. Uh, but it's, it's all seeming to come apart. And the, the, the best laid plans of mice and men went, 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 went awry. And, and so China has put itself in its position where I don't see how it gets out of it. I, the lockdowns are going to have to continue for a long time. Yeah, I don't think the lockdowns, though, have anything to do with the fact that there's just some huge outbreak of coronavirus in China. First of all, I don't I don't trust any data coming out of China. And second of all, I don't think the lockdowns were ever meant to be about the coronavirus. They were meant to be about population control. And uh, the other issue that you have in China is that Xi Jinping has tied his regime legitimacy around uh, zero COVID. And so this is not, it's not about COVID. It's not about, you know, has China not, you know, used vaccines properly? You know, did, did they not create better vaccines? That has nothing to do with it. Has everything to do with Xi Jinping has, you know, taken a stance on zero COVID and by God, they're going to continue it because that's the way the Chinese Communist Party is. They Once they set a policy, particularly around a leader, and uh, that is a policy that they're going to hold. They're not going to change. But are the people going to topple the government? No. And, and this is the other thing that I think people need to understand about China. What they've done is they've taken the, the technology of Silicon Valley and they have used it to control the population very effectively. So the way uh, that um, many uh, countries might uh, use to communicate amongst different groups that would be seeking to protest the government is to use many of these collaborative tools of Silicon Valley. And that's what the Chinese Communist Party has been so effective at controlling. And there's a very good Harvard um, Business Review study on how China uses social media as a controlling factor. And so what you're starting to see already is, is a crackdown is, uh, is happening. So they have the police force and they have a very, very large police force. They have an externally facing military and then they have an, an internally uh, facing military that's called the People's Armed Police. So People's Liberation Army is externally facing uh, people's armed police is internally facing. And so that is used to basically in conjunction with um, cameras, um, millions, hundreds of millions of cameras uh, powered by artificial intelligence, all the data that's collected on your devices, all of this is data and information is used to uh, disperse these protests, to go back. So they, what they do is they wait until these people go back home. You know, they don't they don't try to lock them up when they're out protesting. They wait till they go back home. And because they can track them and they know what they're doing, they go just go to their house and arrest them. So they've dispersed the universities. They sent all the kids home. And as soon as they get home, they're going to arrest them. That's what's going on right now. Well, uh, unfortunately, we're out of time out of this segment. We're going to have another one. So we've been talking to Rob Spaulding, the author of the new book, <clears throat> War Without Rules. We'll be right back. 
Recently, we received news from the president that our economy had 0% inflation in the month of July. President Biden is misleading the American people on inflation. It is true that energy went down, but other important items went up, like food. Over the previous month, food was up 12% on an annualized basis for the month of July. Electricity was up 19.2% on an annualized basis in July. Just to name a few items that went up in July besides food and power, new cars and trucks, medical care and shelter were all costing you more. Don't believe what Biden is saying to you about zero inflation. Look at your checkbook or your credit card statement. You must protect your family from the ravages of inflation. You need to find out if gold is right for you. Go to blackandwhites.us and on the homepage, click on the gold bar and get connected to our gold guru, Ira, at Advisors Metals. And ask Ira, is gold right for me? Welcome back. And we're having a fascinating conversation with Rob Spaulding, the author of Wars Without Rules. Um, I have a lot of questions based on the first segment, so I, I was just fascinated what you were saying. Um, there's a there's a statistic that I've been seeing, and I heard it again yesterday, which I think has significant long term implications. Uh, scientists and population scientists are now estimating that. By 2035, the population of China will be halved because it's aging so rapidly and they don't have, they had a one child policy and uh, they've tried to stop, change that, but it's not, they're not getting people. So China could be a much smaller nation in 15 years than it is today. What's the implications of increasing aging and death rates on the power of China? Well, you know, I don't think that um, that those studies take into account uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, so as you uh, as you probably know, uh, there's uh, the the reason that they have um, this uh, demographic problem was because of the uh, of the one child policy. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that happened as a result of the one child policy is that they created um, in China this imbalance between males and females. And so they have um, tens of millions of uh, young males without, um, you know, without the accompanying females because of uh, the one child policy. Well, um, one of the things that's happening as a result of the Belt and Road Initiative is that many of these young males are migrating. And so um, along the Belt and Road Initiative, you have manufacturing cities that um, essentially uh, provide a, a way for these young males to leave China, to go to these uh, areas that are manufacturing hubs for China outside the borders, intermarry with the females of those um, of those countries, and most of the Belt and Road Initiative countries are developing economy countries. Most of those developing economy countries, like Pakistan, have very robust um, demographics. And so what's happening with, um, is, uh, I believe, is this migration of young males from China into these Belt and Road Initiative countries is the way that China intends to deal with it, with its population issues. And oh, by the way, create populations 
outside the borders that are very loyal to China. So, you know, I think when you take those into account, um, I would start to think differently about what China is in the next 20 years. Terrific. Thank you on that. Um, <clears throat> moving on, I want to ask you about President Biden's one China policy. Is that unrealistic? Well, the, the, the one China policy, <laughs> it's kind of confusing because the president will say one thing and then his staff will say something else. I think the one China policy has to, has to take into account and something that we haven't done, um, the fact that you know, China or Taiwan has evolved into a very thriving democracy. And uh, the, the Taiwanese people, um, the, the, the one China policy, um, which is what China calls it, um, we uh, in, in the United States, we basically say uh, there is one China um, and, uh, and we acknowledge that um, you know, we deal officially with the People's Republic of China and unofficially with the, um, uh, with the Republic of China uh, in Taiwan. Um, and we say that you know, any differences, uh, well, there is one China, any differences should be handled peacefully. And unfortunately, what we have now is a thriving democracy. Remember, when we, when we came up with these, um, with these policies, uh, the Taiwan Relations Act, which was passed by Congress, um, and, then the, uh, the, and, then the, and then the Shanghai communique, when we came up with those, um, Taiwan was, an, was also an authoritarian system. Since the Nationalist Party uh, gave up that authoritarian system, and they be, become probably the most thriving democracy uh, in Asia. And so we have to reconcile the fact that you've got 23 million people living on that island and in many ways mirror the principles and values of the United States. And so we, you know, the, the, the decisions we made, which were and primarily um, had to do with countering the Soviet Union during the Cold War, I think it's time for us to rethink those decisions and recognize that, that Taiwan is completely different than it was when, uh, when we originally made uh, those, those policy decisions. Do you think uh, there's been a great deal of discussion over the last few months as to whether or not China will attack Taiwan? What's your thoughts on that? I think they will. I think, uh, I think it's definitely within the next um, five years and likely within the next two. I, in fact, I would be surprised if we get through the entire Biden administration and China has not, uh, the Chinese Communist Party has not retaken Taiwan. And what, what is our response, do you think, going to be? Well, our response is going to be um, most likely very much like uh, we have Berlin uh, and took, you know, East Germany. I think it's going to be like, uh, you know, when they rolled tanks into Czechoslovakia in 1968. This is a long, uh, this is a long game. Uh, when you have uh, a nuclear-armed China and nuclear-armed United States, that's why we called the first Cold War the Cold War. And so just like we had World War I and World War II, I think what you're seeing is Cold War I and now Cold War II. And the reason we have Cold War I and now Cold War II and we don't have World War III is because I think everybody recognizes 
that if we were to go and have a conflict with China or Russia, for that matter, then we run the risk of, uh, of, of destroying all of humanity because of the terrible um, you know, power of a nuclear weapon. And I think um, that is something that over the last 30 years, we've tended to not think about. We don't think that much about nuclear weapons. They never went anywhere. A lot of the threats that are associated with nuclear weapons, for instance, like electromagnetic pulse um, that destroys uh, telecommunications, we've become much more connected electronically, but uh, we've never been so uh, vulnerable uh, because of that connectedness now. And so I think you know these weapons drive us to the second Cold War. And in that, in that case, I think, you know, this ability to use data to influence a population through things like TikTok uh, and, and other um, you, you Western platforms like Facebook is something that we actually have to begin to think about that we didn't have during Cold War I. So following, the, following your, your thought pattern there, so you're expecting that China will invade Taiwan probably before the end of Biden's first term. That's what I believe. Okay. And, and will we support Taiwan militarily or will we walk away? Well, first of all, we don't have the resources or the time to maneuver into position to, um, to prevent China from invading Taiwan. And so I think our, um, our support for the Taiwan, Taiwanese people will be relegated to um, either evacuation or some kind of material support um, for, you know, in terms of uh, resources. Um, I don't think it's gonna be, uh, we're not gonna be there in time and we don't have the resources to really contend with them, particularly after we've uh, spent so many resources uh, with Ukraine. So we're, all, all our munitions are depleted and so, you know, that's why I think it's such a high uh, likelihood that the Chinese were invade because we really don't have the capacity right now to, to respond militarily. So it's going to be in the form of uh, aid and comfort to the Taiwanese people, maybe evacuation, um, just like we had uh, with the Berlin airlift. Um, so I think that's where, uh, that's where our support's going to be. And, and again, you know, if we want to, um, if we want to reverse things, it's going to take decades. It's going to take, um, you know, first of all, it's going to take us economically decoupling from China because that's how they get a lot of their power. But we're going to have to rebuild our nation, rebuild our infrastructure, rebuild our manufacturing, rebuild our science and technology, and really start to um, work very hard, just like we did during Cold War One, in order to be successful and ensure that democracy prevails throughout the world. But um, I agree with you that we, we don't have the resources. Uh, I, I wrote a report recently that <clears throat> with the amount of money that the United States and the European nations have given Ukraine and the armaments, they have the third largest army in the world, third largest military. You got United States, China, used to be Russia, but now it's, it's Ukraine. Uh, it's amazing to me that we have we have sent over eighty five billion dollars in nine months time or less in Ukraine to help defeat the Russians. It appears 
that we've depleted the Russian army dramatically, or they have, but we've depleted our treasury too. And and our and our um and our stocks and munitions and those those stocks take years to replenish. So, um, you know things like Hellfire missiles and and other things that we sent over there. We just we we don't you know we just don't have uh, the munitions now that uh, even if even if we had the munitions though um, what we're faced with is you know that's Taiwan is seventy miles from the the, the Chinese coastline. It's you know thousands of miles from from the United States, and all of our bases are within missile range of the Chinese uh, military uh, bases in the Pacific in the first island chain. So I think you know ha having really any realistic capability of responding in a timely fashion to an invasion of Taiwan is just nobody's uh, no nobody can say that uh, and be credible that we would that we could do that. And there's no other country in the world. Who would step up to try and do anything to intervene? And, and no other. And by the way, no other country that has the capability of doing so. So it's not just that, that, that there's none that would have the will. There's none that have the capability. So, what do you think is going to happen between now and Christmas? Anything? Um, you know, between now and Christmas, I think uh, you know what what she is trying to do is um is kind of soothe uh down things i think the um the uh, the coronavirus protests were a complication i think he wants to get that get that under control he wants to get um what you want to have what the, what what china wants to have is um a pretty stable environment um because they want when they do uh, when they do have invasion they want to make sure it catches everybody um, by complete surprise. So, you know, I think what they're going to do is work really hard to kind of stabilize the international environment as much as they can. Uh, in the meantime, they're going to try to suck as much technology, talent, and capital out of the West as they can because they recognize that the door is beginning to shut. Yeah. We've been having a fascinating conversation with Rob Spaulding, who is the author of War Without Rules. Uh, this has been one of the most interesting interviews that I've done in a while. I'd love to have you back on real soon and continue the discussion. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. We'll be right back after these messages. Great job. I mean, it's just, you're so insightful. Um, uh, and, and I like your candor. So uh, thanks for pulling off on the side of the road and give us the time. Be safe on your travels back to Washington. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye. Oh, Rob? Yeah. Um, I forgot to ask you, where can you get your books? Uh, oh, um, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles is pretty much anywhere books are sold. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.